0: Good morning, everybody. Very good to be with all of you. And, uh, and on, on the heels of the report, I just want to say thank you. I'm so grateful just for the faithfulness, the generosity of this church. It is by far the most generous church that I've ever been a part of. And I just, uh, I really thank you for that. It allows us to do a lot of really good mission, and, uh, and it forms us, right? Jesus was really big on this. He talked about money more than he talked about heaven or hell. Uh, it forms us as we grow into people who are generous. And uh, this church exemplifies that well. So I really thank you for that. Uh, so this morning we're getting into a new series. Uh, I'm, I was tempted to say it's going to be something about the end times just because it feels like Florida and California. And I know that's like a sign of the apocalypse or something. But, uh, but it's not. We're doing something different. Uh, so it's, it's a new series. Uh, we're calling it american idols and we're going to be in this for uh, the duration of the fall and really we're we're asking the question what are some of those things in our society values that we hold slogans that we hold on to our our deeply held beliefs our our common practices as americans what are some of those very american things that can become idols in our lives can rise to a place in their importance where uh, they become more of a source of security and comfort for us than God is. More of a source of meaning. Uh, what are some of these things that we are prone to making into an idol? Now, what do we m- mean by an idol? So, uh, Tim Keller has a nifty definition that you've heard here before. We use it a lot, but uh, he likes to say a good thing. Uh, an idol is a good thing which has become an ultimate thing, right? A good thing which has become an ultimate thing. Most of our idols are not things that are evil, nefarious, frightening. Most of our idols are things that are good. But they've been taken out of their rightful place, they've been elevated to a place that is no longer good, that corrupts that very goodness and makes it into something that becomes problematic. Right, I, I think most of us probably realize that we can make an idol out of money or out of sex, but there's any number of things that can become a counterfeit god in our life, anything that we would put such importance into that it commands our allegiance over God himself. So things like success or image or uh, or family or kids, a romantic relationship or the promise of a romantic relationship, our physical security, our financial security, our beauty, our brains, our fitness, a, a great social cause religion. Any of these things can become an idol if it's elevated in the wrong way. So in this series, we're gonna look at some of our American idols, and, and by the way, um, lest you be worried this is gonna be like an anti-American screed, uh, or maybe you're hoping it will be, either way, uh, that's not the case. Uh, the fact is, all of us are a product of our culture. We're all shaped by the environment in which we live, and this happens to be our environment it's not a judgment on whether we are any better or any worse than other cultures that's a totally another topic it's just the reality that you and I have been shaped by the waters that we swim in and uh, and so we're we're going to do our best to be looking critically at those waters so there's a little bit of where we're going in the weeks to come uh, we're going to be looking at things like freedom right now talk about a good thing right Everybody agrees, freedom is a good thing. And what is more American than freedom, right? That's like, that's like America. Like, drop the A, just start with an apostrophe, America. Freedom, right? This is the thing. This is the stuff. It's even in the Bible, right? It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. So how does something as good, as right as freedom become an idol? Well, it becomes an idol when it's elevated to a place where we compromise... What God calls us to, in the name of what we see to be freedom, right? It can morph. It can change. It can become distorted. We're going to look at that. We're going to look at uh, the the idol, potential idol of financial security, of prosperity, right? And prosperity is great. I'd love more of it. You'd probably like more of it too. It's a good thing. But if it becomes the source of our security, our comfort a thing that we chase after at the expense of other things that are more valuable, then it becomes an idol. Uh, We're gonna talk about youth and youthfulness and how very, very difficult we find it in the society to grow old. We fight it tooth and nail. How can I continue to look young and feel young and uh, appear young to those around me? It's an idol. Religion. Religion is a big American idol. How does it move from being a good thing to a harmful thing? So uh, all those, and some others as well, we'll, we'll, um, you know, we'll, we'll talk about uh, self-reliance, right? Pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, whatever a bootstrap is, I still don't know, but it's a very American thing. But that's where we're going in the weeks to come. Today, we're, we're gonna do a flyover. We're doing an intro in this, just asking the question, what is an idol? What does it do? Where does its power over us come from? And in that, we're going to look at three defining qualities of an idol, and then ultimately, uh, the question of how we break free from the, the hold that an idol can have over us. So let's pray, and let's look at the scriptures together. Father God, we confess, it's always so much easier, and if we're honest, sometimes enjoyable, to look at the sins of others than to look at our own. But God, today and in the weeks to come, we pray that you would enliven us by your Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us through your Word. God, that you would awaken in us an awareness of those place where we have made good things into ultimate things. God, meet us in that, and even today as we come to the scriptures, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work in our hearts, that you would speak to us, that you would bring us conviction or comfort, whatever it is that we need. God, for each of us at whatever place that we are at in our journey with you or exploring of you, we pray, God, that you would meet us there and you would move us one step closer to being like Jesus. We give you thanks. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so this is our text for this morning. It's from the prophet Zechariah, which I'm sure you're all super familiar with. You were probably in that this morning while you are eating your cornflakes, I'm sure of it. Zechariah chapter 10, verse 2. The idols speak deceitfully. Diviners see visions that lie. They tell dreams that are false. They give comfort in vain. Therefore, the people wander like sheep oppressed for lack of a shepherd. What are the idols? How do they hold power over us? First thing that we learn from this scripture, and it's a a great starting place for us on, on this question of what an idol is, but the first thing that we see here is that idols lie. Here again how this verse starts. The idols speak deceitfully. Diviners see visions that lie. They tell dreams that are false. That's a lot of lying and just just one line of scripture there. The idols are liars, we're told, and so are their handlers. So are the diviners, the dreamers, the the priesthood, if you will, that surrounds an idol. And friends, make no mistake, in ancient times and also in our times, idols have a priesthood. There is a a religious structure that forms itself around an idol. They have their promoters. They have their protectors. They have their defenders. They have their shrines. Some of our shrines to our idols are office complexes. Gyms where we go to pretend we're younger than we are. uh, Movie houses and others. They, They have their shrines. They have their protectors. And they all lie. This is the first reason that we want Jesus to ferret out the idols in our lives. It's that they lie; they're untrustworthy because they misrepresent reality about who you are, and who God is, and what the world is like. So, if if this if this falsehood if this is the truest thing about idols, now what is it that makes these lies so powerful? And the uh, the scriptures speak to this in a way that's really interesting to me. There's sort of this priesthood that sustains and protects and promotes the worship of these idols. And biblically, it's portrayed like this. We're told it's the world, the flesh, and the devil. It's sort of this trinity of deception. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And there's, there's a pastor I enjoy following, uh, John Mark Comer. He has a great book on this, I commend to you, called Live No Lies. And he, he frames this in a really helpful way. It works like this. You have deceptive ideas, that is, the devil, that play to disordered desires, that is, our flesh, that are normalized in a sinful society, the world. Deceptive ideas that play to disordered desires that are normalized in a sinful world, the devil, the flesh, and the world. Let's unpack this. So first, the devil. So the actual name or that title devil means deceiver. And Jesus calls the devil the father of lies. So this idea of falsehood is kind of built into this whole idea of who the enemy is. And as uncool as it is to believe it, in the 21st century, the Bible is very clear that there is a spiritual realm that includes the demonic, that includes forces, spirits that are evil. And their main weapon, contrary to most of our movies, the main weapon is not possession the main weapon that these forces use against us is the lie, right? If you think about it, this goes all the way back to the first chapters of Scripture. It goes back to the garden, right? You have this encounter between the serpent and Eve. And as the devil comes after her, what is his approach? It's the lie, right? Comes to her and and asks the question, did God really say that you can't eat from that particular tree? Is that what God said? Just plants this little seed of doubt. And kind of waters that seed and causes it to grow. And this question starts to linger, is God holding out on me? Is the real path to flourishing in life this thing I see over here? Or is it this thing that God said? Which is it? Right? The tool that's employed there in that encounter is the lie. And it's powerful. It's powerful. Uh, The reason it's powerful is because we act according to what we truly believe. And if Satan can convince you, if he can lie to you and get you to believe that this other path that is offered is a better path to flourishing than the one that God puts in front of you, then he wins. It's game over. The lie. Now, these deceptive ideas, they play to the flesh. They play to our disordered desires. And friends, this is is one of those things that's hard but true. We We have to own this. We have to admit it. There is a part of us that wants to be lied to. There is a part of us that wants to be lied to when it serves us, when it serves the thing that we want. We want to have a deceptive idea that we can buy into, that we can believe. Right, So in the spiritual, maybe it looks like we, we hear that there is this God who loves me, and he created me, and he cares for me, and he looks out for me, and he wants to know me. And I hear that, and that sounds really good. But then maybe also I hear that he's going to tell me how to live, that he is the judge of what is right and wrong that there's going to be things demanded of me if I am in relationship with this God. And part of me, if my resistance is strong enough, part of me uh, might want to say, do you have any other gods? (laughs) How about something different? Or you hear about Jesus, and it's so striking, his gentleness, and just this presence that he has, and this love that he exhibits. And you hear how he dies, for your sins. He invites you into a relationship with him, both in this life and in the life to come. And you say, okay, that sounds pretty amazing. But then you maybe also hear Jesus says, I, I want you to follow me. I want you to, to take up your cross. I want you to become my disciple. I want you to put your whole life under my leadership, my reign. And, and maybe part of you embraces that, but maybe there's another part that says, you know what, I'm kind of busy. Can I like kind of half follow? right? Can, can I just like kind of do this, but not fully do this? Or, you know, Jesus, if you have a, a list of the absolute minimum requirements for me to get into heaven when I'm dead, that would be sufficient. Just give me that. That's the thing that I want. Right? We, we hear Jesus speak of, of a, a small gate and a narrow road. And we're like, hey, you got any other gods that maybe offer a little broader road? Because I'm, I'm up for a little bit of change. But, you know, got to keep up with the times. And, you know, we got we to do this thing. There's part of us that would rather believe the lie. That's our flesh. So that's, that's part of the bad news in this, is that the lie is not just external. It's internal as well. John Calvin. He said the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. It just churns them out off the assembly line. If there's a lie, if there's a deceptive idea that plays in the right way to our disordered desires, our flesh, then we're like, okay, I'll take that one. That's part of what gives the idol such power. And then there's this. So these lies become so common, so ingrained, in the fabric of society that they become normalized, that they become just the way things are. And this is what the Bible calls the world, right? This is, or another way that we sometimes put this, this is what we sometimes refer to as systemic sin, right? There's personal sin and there's systemic. When, when the lie gets so embedded into society that it just becomes normal and how things are, then we, we barely even see it anymore, right? So it, it happens like this. A false idea, it comes in, it appeals to our flesh, we embrace it, and slowly, it gets embedded in the stories that we tell, in the songs that we listen to, in our films, in our television, until it's just how things are. Right, and and once that happens, once we hit that stage, can you see how powerful the deception actually is? Right, There's there's a saying in the philosophies that, Uh, the fish is the last one to discover the water right when when the lie gets so deeply embedded in our culture that we no longer see it that's when it becomes really dangerous so let me let me put these three together with uh with a story and and again comer's book kind of prompted this this thought he had a similar story but okay you remember music in the days before spotify Right, Or you go back even further, right? before you stream music, then there was, there was iTunes, you know, and you're downloading songs one at a time for a dollar a piece. I thought that was the best thing in the world. Well, before that, taking you way back now, we had these things known as CDs. Right? <laughs> Do you remember? Some of you are scoffing at me, and, and my first experiences were with cassette tapes, obviously. Some of you with grayer hair are like, you, you young buck you. It's all about the LP, but we're just going as far back as CDs, right? Let's let's not hurt ourselves here. We'll just go back that far. So, so it's the early nineties, right? And and CDs are a thing, and the music quality is so much better than my tired old cassette tapes. And and so I'm you know I'm I'm trying to uh, I'm trying to buy CDs, but I'm I'm a starving college student. I'm delivering pizza for a living. Come on, this is some expensive stuff. But then there's this wonderful technology that comes along where you can, you can copy, you can actually burn a CD. And so your friend buys the CD and then he can burn you one and for just pennies, for giving him the blank desk for pennies, you get yourself this wonderful, fresh CD and oh the joy in the early 90s. of the wet sprocket and I didn't have to pay for it of it the goo-goo dolls and you know my my joy nirvana's premier album this was a monumental time in my life and and you know you could just burn it ah life was good right but here's the thing uh, somewhere along the line and, and this it was in college that I started following Christ in earnest Somewhere along the line, I began to feel a twinge of conviction about this. Maybe I shouldn't be burning CDs. Maybe I should actually be buying said CDs. It was, I didn't even want to say it out loud, right? Because if I said it out loud, it could be real. And then I might have to actually pay for these things. But break this down. So, So here's the thing. It starts with a lie. Someone or something says to me, hey, you know what? It's not really stealing, because, and then fill in the blank with whatever you want. Because, well, somebody paid for it, or because, I don't know, I don't have another one, but the lie doesn't have to be that good. (laughs) The point is, the lie played perfectly into my disordered desire. I wanted music, and I was cheap. And so the lie was a perfect fit. But, But here's where the picture is made complete. Right? If I was the only one doing this, then perhaps I would have come to a place of conviction far earlier. But it was ubiquitous. Right? There are CDs being passed around. I don't know who the original purchaser of the CD was. The artist probably made like a dollar off that song they wrote because everybody is burning the CD. That lie got so ingrained in our system and our way of being, you don't really think about it. You just kind of go with the flow. It's normal, right? Starts with a lie, plays to the flesh, and then the world supports that lie. Ah. Now and, in fact, and maybe you can re- relate to this too, but I remember when when I stopped burning music, like people got mad at me. You know, it's like, oh, you know, no thanks, I'm just gonna buy it. What are you saying? Why are you judging me? Like I <laughs> what? But, and we'll, we'll hit this more in, in future weeks, but this is part of that priesthood functioning around our idols too. Listen, if, if you reject one of the core idols of our age, you get excommunicated. You can't go against the idols and not face repercussion. Right? Once we're all in on these things, we protect them jealously. So you see how this works? Right? The, the world, the flesh, and the devil, they collude together. And that's the first idea here, that idols lie. Our idols lie. Second is this. Our idols give empty comfort. Back to our verse. It says, the idols speak deceitfully. Diviners see visions that lie. They tell dreams that are false. They give comfort in vain. Or more literally, they give comfort that is empty, comfort that is hollow. The the Hebrew word behind that word, vain, uh, it's it's the, the word that's also used for steam or for mist, for something that has no substance. There's nothing of weight to it. It's hollow. In other words, our idols make promises to us, but they do not deliver. It's kind of like the chocolate bunny. You get at Easter time, and you get this thing, and it's huge, and you're like, oh my gosh, I've got chocolate for the next two weeks. And then you discover it is so hollow, and that chocolate is so thin. And probably it's not the best grade chocolate to begin with, but that's not even the point. It's hollow. And our idols' promises are this way. They, I mean, they look terrific. Think again of Eve in the garden. right? She looks at the fruit, and it's pleasing to the eye. And you know, she can tell it tastes good, and the whole thing. But the promise is empty. The promise itself is hollow. Friends, the reason that idols work on us, the reason they have such power, their appeal is in that they provide or they promise to provide something that we need. To provide safety or comfort or confidence or pleasure or identity. Right? So our our money, you know, this is easy example, right? Our money famously becomes an idol to us because it makes us feel safe, right? If I've got money in the bank, if I'm planning for retirement, if there's a steady paycheck coming, I feel safe. Uh, Do you you know, in in my opinion, you know why the South Bay, this part of Los Angeles is one of the most unchurched places, uh, not only in our city, but in the country, right? Right around 5% of the South Bay is regularly involved in church. It's our self-sufficiency, it's our money. You don't feel a big need for God when you already feel secure, when you've already got comfort, right? Uh, Our idols promise us these great things, but it's kind of like putting duct tape over the check engine oil in your car, right? That might make you feel a little comfort for the moment, but that engine's still gonna blow up. What the idols promise is not real. It's a comfort, yes, but it's a hollow comfort. It's an empty comfort. Years ago, this is also back in college, um, I knew a young woman, I'll call her Shannon. She was deeply bought into the lie that she could not be happy outside of a romantic relationship. Right? She so could not bear to be alone, that she she was never without one. Right? She would go immediately from one relationship into the next. And in fact, almost always they there was a small overlap, <laughs> right, where uh, where the the next guy would kind of get hooked before the the current guy before the breakup was even complete, and. Um, uh, what happened with her, you know, and I, you know, we were friends, I saw this play out with her again and again. Uh, the narrative that she had bought into, and there, like with all of us, there were good reasons for this, lie having such appeal to her, just the nature of her childhood and the particular wounds that she had. Uh, but the lie, again, was, I will not be happy if I am not in a romantic relationship. That was the lie and her flesh bought in because there were particular, particular holes, you could say, in her heart that she needed filled, and this, this seemed to do it. And uh, the world certainly reinforced that message, too. This will be one of our topics in the weeks to come. But, uh, but for her, the only way that she could feel good, that she could feel secure about who she was, the only way she could be happy and feel she had worth was if she was with a guy and the idol of this promised comfort. Now, that was the promise. What actually happened? Uh, the idol promised happiness, but what did it really deliver? Uh, well, there was a comfort, that was true, but it, it was always brief, it was always shallow. And in fact, the relationships, they, they couldn't be sustained. They ended up breaking down because she was putting so much weight on these. Her identity was so tied up into this that she had a difficult time maintaining these relationships and couldn't understand why they kept falling apart. Uh, She had a chronically broken heart, Right, this unending string of guys. She would be all invested in, and then once they were gone, she would fall apart again uh, she wasn't a, a Christian but still kind of the sexual ethic that she had uh, was compromised right because you know that's part of keeping a guy happy right and so she she ended up with a, a sexual history that caused her a lot of pain caused her a lot of shame. And, and maybe maybe for me, as, as a friend, looking at this, the most painful part of it for me to see was that uh, she was kind of a diminished person, right? She was a wonderful person, but she could never kind of function as a whole person if she wasn't one half of a couple. And it, it was almost, like all the time, she was kind of half of who she could be, if that makes sense. And it was painful, so painful, to watch." Mm. Right? The idol lied to her, told her, if, if you just worship me, if you take this path, then this is the comfort that I will give you. And that comfort would appear just long enough to make the lie believable, until it was exposed as being hollow. Mm. Uh, so number one, idols lie. Two, they promise comfort, but it ends up being a hollow comfort. And then ultimately this. We're taught here that idols oppress. Again, Zechariah 10, it says, The idols speak deceitfully. Diviners see visions that lie. They they tell dreams that are false. They give comfort in vain. Therefore, the people wander like sheep oppressed for lack of a shepherd. Right now, look at the end result. That's what Zechariah has given us here at the end of this verse. Look at the end result. People are adrift. They're wandering. They are oppressed. And this is where the, the lie gets sort of most insidious, right? Our, our idols promise us freedom, but ultimately, they enslave us. And this is so interesting to me because when, when the Bible describes our relationship to idols, there's... There's three words that we're given here. Uh, we're told that, that when we worship idols, we love them, that we trust them, and finally, that we obey them. And, and that one's the most interesting to me, because why is it that we're running from big G God to a little G God in the first place? Right, It's because we don't want to obey that God. And the irony is that once the idol has us, we end up obeying it. Friends, it's it's not a matter of of us being so independent that we're not living in obedience to something. No, it's just a question of who we're going to obey. God, or a smaller God. Here's how it's it's put in 2 Peter 3.19. It says, they promised them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity, for people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. Whatever we worship, whatever becomes our God, to that thing, ultimately, we will be beholden. If that is the God of the universe, then friends, there is a life of flourishing, the abundant life, Jesus tells us, that is a reality to be had, a reality to be lived into, even in the midst of a world as broken as ours. But, if we follow our idol instead, and once we discover, if we discover at all that that comfort it brings is hollow, we find that we are oppressed. Uh, our idols demand sacrifices. Right? It's, it's not just the priesthood. This is part of it, too. There are sacrifices that we have to make to our idols if, if we want those gods to give us the good life and to ward off any danger. right? It's not that different than it was in the ancient world. You and I may not physically kneel before the goddess Aphrodite, the goddess of beauty, but how many young women in our day and age agonize in front of the mirror in pursuit of beauty, and fall into eating disorders, self-loathing, because they don't meet the airbrushed standard which isn't real to begin with, that we have idolized in our society. Right? We, uh, you and I, we may not have a literal shrine to Dionysius in our home, the god of wine and pleasure, but all the same, we may find ourselves enslaved to alcohol, or pills, or sex, or shopping, or any other addiction that we use as a numbing agent. We have to sacrifice to that god if we want to keep making us happy. And it leads to a place of oppression where we are entirely beholden to that God. We may not sacrifice our children to bail in exchange for a good harvest, but in our society, we may very well sacrifice our children to take that promotion that we may or may not really need, to pursue more financial security that we may or may not really need. Our idols ultimately oppress us. Again, we're taking something, usually something that is good, but when it it becomes disordered, when it moves to a place of being ultimate in our lives, then it switches. We become oppressed. Uh, David Foster Wallace was a a great American novelist. He he wrote this not long before, in his quest, he actually ended up becoming a Christian too. Uh, But this is a a famous commencement speech that he gave at Kenyon College. He says, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship be it Jesus Christ or Allah, be it Yahweh, or the Wiccan Mother Goddess, or the Four Noble Truths, or some infrangible set of ethical principles, is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if if they're where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough, it's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you in the ground. Worship power, and you will feel weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. You get the idea? You feel this? This is where our idols lead. They lie to us. They tell us that the flourishing life is found in following them and not in following God. They promise comfort, but that comfort ends up being hollow. It doesn't last long and it doesn't meet our deepest needs. Uh, And ultimately, our idols come to be our our oppressors. They enslave us as we put our trust in them instead of God. So what do we do? How do we break free? Here's what Zechariah says to us. It says, At the end of the scripture, the people wander like sheep oppressed for lack of a shepherd. We need a shepherd. What is our way out? How do we break free from our idol's grip on us? Well, we need a shepherd. We need one who leads us, who guides us, who speaks truth, and who helps us live by it. Who exposes the lies of the world, who exposes the comfort is hollow, who works on our behalf, even when we don't know how we would work on our behalf if we knew. And friends, we have such a shepherd The psalmist famously puts it, the Lord is my shepherd. Remember the next line? Because of him, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I'm in the darkest valleys, I won't be afraid. Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We have a shepherd. And we break free from our idols by entrusting ourselves to that shepherd. And Jesus took that label on himself. He said, I am the good shepherd. And friend, Jesus loves you so much. He does not want you to be enslaved. He wants nothing less for you than a life of true flourishing. The question for us is, can we trust him in that? And how do we become people who can trust him as our shepherd? And I want to give give you two practices, and we'll be throwing out some different practices, homework if you will, as we go through this series. I want to give you two today. Practice number one is what's historically been called the discipline of submission. The discipline of submission. And simply put, this means that we make it our daily practice to surrender. To start each day and end each day with God by surrendering to him by saying to him that it is our intention to lay down our idols as we are confronted by their reality in everyday life. Uh, And friends, trust me in this. Ask God to show you. And the Holy Spirit will. He will show up if you're intent on living a life that is surrendered. You can live a life that way. It it takes practice. You got to develop into it like anything else. But Jesus will meet us in that. That's practice one. It's the discipline of submission. Morning and night, come to God saying, it is my intent to follow you and no idol. Ask him to ferret those out in your life. Practice number two is meditation on God's word. Filling your mind with scripture, letting it permeate your being, let it renew who you are and transform your thinking. Meditating on the word of God. Right? Back when I was uh, said delivery boy, right? when, when you're working in the shop and you're on the cashier, uh, one of the things they want you to watch for is counterfeit bills. And the way that they train you to spot counterfeit bills is they train you to know what the real bill looks like. Right? And there's little characteristics, little ridgy parts on 50s and 100s that you can scratch with your thumb. And there's this little strip that runs down the one side and whatnot. And the reason they do it that way is there are an infinite number of ways to counterfeit a bill. And you couldn't possibly learn all of the ways to do that. But if you're familiar enough with what the real thing looks like, then you spot the phony when it comes through. Friends, if we are going to be people who learn to ferret out these idols, who Jesus is at work at bringing these things to the surface and freeing us from these, we have to know what truth looks like. So we meditate on God's word. Fill your mind with scripture. And as we go through this series, um, we're we're actually uh, doing a, a reading plan through the book of Matthew. Uh, it's, it's in this past week's email, and I'll put it in this next week's email as well. It's going to start not this Monday, but a week from Monday. Uh, but if, if you're in a place where you could use kind of a kickstart in your devotional life, or, or you're just like, hey, I want to read through Matthew with everyone else, whatever the case might be, this is a great place to start. As we go through this whole series, let's just immerse ourselves in the words of Jesus and let his truth shape us. And, uh, and continue to make us into the people that he would have us be. And friends, as we respond in worship this morning, let me just ask you this. Are you in a place where you are willing to be led by the good shepherd to come under his rule? Are you in a place where trusting him to be the one you love and worship and obey, and not the idols around us, where that that has appeal. I want to invite you to that as we worship today, to make that your commitment. As we receive communion, as we pray together, as we sing, uh, if, if you are wanting to be prayed for this morning in that area or any other area, we'll be doing that this morning as well. And I invite you as we're worshiping Uh, to come to the back corner back here. Someone from our prayer team will be praying for folks. Uh, But I want to invite you to wrestle through that question with God. Is this an area where you are desiring to grow? If so, don't make that a later decision. Make that a today decision. As we worship, make your statement to Jesus, I want to follow you and no lesser God. Let's pray together.